Hey folks, welcome to Anson Podcast. I am Mark Fraser, this is... Chris. We're sitting next to each other on a couch, which is dead weird. That means something special is going on. Something special is about to happen. Something special is about to happen. Yeah. Before we get into the special thing, um, first of all, I want to thank the people of Bulgaria. Good on you. For getting us in the charts and iTunes. <laughs> Fucking tremendous stuff. <laughs> Can't wait to phone my folks. <laughs> We're famous suddenly. A beautiful country. Beautiful country. Never uh, been. Absolutely stunning. Amazing. Oh, I'll need to go at some point. I was going to start my Euro tri- trip there, but it cost too much to hire a car. Is that the nicest country we've been in the charts in? Um, no, we've been in the charts in like yeah, Denmark and Sweden. I think Bulgaria might be nice mm, on them. Fair enough. I have no comparison, so... Uh, yeah, but and also uh, the other cool thing we should talk about is our Patreon, Chris. Patreon, Chris. Patreon, Chris. Great guy. <laughs> good, good for a lend of cash uh, if you're having uh, a tight month. <laughs> Financial difficulties. Uh, yeah, we have a Patreon. It's called the Unsung Record Club. Uh, it's got tiered payments that have tiered rewards. Uh, the first payment is four bucks, four mm-hmm. four currencies, four currencies a month. And that gets you sort of basic access and it gets you into the Unsung AAA Facebook group where you can pose suggestions for episodes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it gets you special episodes, one of which went out today mm-hmm. and is a belter, if I do say so myself. And yeah, it's it's a good time all round. And most importantly, it, it shows your support for the show and it helps us keep doing what we're doing and cover all the costs and all the time that it takes to make these programmes. The second tier... Digital Record Club, uh, which is 15 currencies a 15 month. 15 currencies a 15 month. 15 currencies a month. And the Digital Record uh, Club is all the same benefits of the original one, plus we send you curated music at least once a month, but also you get the odd bonus thing. It's music curated to some extent to your tastes, and I know you, a lot of people use streaming platforms. You can use Bandcamp as an app on your phone. The main thing is just that we've worked out that the revenue that these bands get, we buy their music from them directly or from the small labels directly, and the revenue you share is literally thousands of times what they would get if you were just listening to them on Spotify. So whilst I get that that's easier, you're really hands-on helping keep a lot of artists uh, in work and also helping, you know, resurrect the odd old recording. We've had a couple of repressings. We've got a band that's putting together a compilation of rarities as a result of the interest. Mm-hmm. And the last tier, Mark? Last tier is the old singer, old dancing, who we'll sends you a goddamn vinyl record in the post An tier. actual vinyl record. Yeah. Some of them are very limited edition as well. They are. Some of the ones we've got, which are on the heavy end of the spectrum, are very limited edition. Yep, uh, hand-numbered. Mm-hmm. And uh, that also includes a digital thing as well, which will not be the same record record uh, so you get multiple things for that price you get to put money into the hands of the bands and also it's a little treat to yourself because once a month this thing drops through your mailbox whatever it is you have in your house a hole in the roof whatever mm-hmm. and it's just exciting because you you know again you get to say roughly what you'd like but you don't know what we're going to send you and a lot of this in fact i'd say most of it is uh stuff that you probably never would have encountered if it wasn't via us and that kind of curational aspect. So it's really good. It's proven popular. We're getting loads of good feedback. Please join it. It's a, it's a great way to spend your money and it's a great way to keep our podcast going. Yeah, so go to patreon.com forward slash unsungpod to learn more about that. Uh, so what are we doing today, Chris? Yeah, well, that helps us do things like this, which has been a bit time intensive. Uh, we are going to interview Chris Spencer of Unseen. I almost yes. said unsung. <laughs> yeah, I've said it a few times. I'm explaining to people. Like, no, no, wait, it's not. It's unseen. <laughs> the noise rock band Unseen, originally from New York and then relocated, but just old hands, absolute. Lords of the genre Lords of filth Ah oh, well Something else uh, I've been really looking forward To doing this interview I am a fanboy uh, There's no secret there And yeah We're, we're going to get Into it With Chris In a big way And Chris has chosen An album That he thinks is unsung And it's a fucking great choice sure. So Let's go to that mm-hmm. Let's meet Chris Spencer Hello, Chris Spencer. How are you doing? 
Hey, I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's great. It's cold. It's summer in Scotland. It's We're, summer in Scotland. Nice. Finally. It's awesome. The world is back to normal again. We had a, we had sun for a while, man, and that did not feel right. Yeah. Um, With global warming, you guys might actually luck out a little bit there. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not sure where we sit in the, the list of countries that are going to disappear. I mean, we're going to lose Netherlands, right? We can live with that. But I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> we had a day recently which was 30 degrees Celsius, which um, made people explode. Pretty yeah. fucking hot for us, man. <laughs> uh, Chris, thanks for doing this. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Uh, I mean, it's it's pretty well known to listeners of the show and just to anybody that knows me that I'm a, a massive noise rock junkie. Music for me went from being a passive thing to a, more of a lifestyle choice when I get into Nirvana. But unlike a lot of my friends who kind of took that path towards Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots and stuff, Nirvana took me onto the road to the US underground via Melvin's Helmet, onto stuff like Shorty yeah. and Cherubs, Today's the Day. But without a doubt, of all the groups I get into at that time, almost none have aged as well as Unseen. I mean, oh shit! Really, man. Wow. I just think it's it's huh. a band that this <clears throat> record still sounds so relevant. They still feel vital. They still feel really exciting. Uh, we'll we'll talk about why that might be. Maybe because of your purity of message, musically speaking. But uh, yeah. <laughs> so this oh, this, wow. this means a lot to me, man. Um, I mean, you you, get, you didn't do what some of your peers did and kind of embark in these kind of. I think slightly contrived grabs for mainstream success. Uh, and you also mercifully didn't do that thing where, you know, bands like Melvin's and Buttholes, I'll never forgive them, where you release these really esoteric, almost unlistenable albums <laughs> when you're... Yeah. yeah, no, that's not for me. <laughs> you're a working class kid that can only buy maybe one record a, a week or a fortnight. Melvin's and Butthole Surfers were my nemesis at that point. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's so, pretty funny. Uh, Have you heard the newest Buttholes? Uh, no, I haven't. What's it like? Or the last, yeah, yeah. Do I say, you know, I the guys are cool, but is... <laughs> Uh, you might want to go for an earlier record is oh, my we, only we actually did an episode of this show in the bottle surfers it's one of my favorites but i did get to vent quite a bit about how much nonsense the assistant putting out in that episode yeah. um i'm eager to get your take on your career uh, and I, I hope you'll take this as an opportunity to speak quite frankly about some of your own work you know because as band members ourselves we all know that we don't always feel as warmly to all of our catalogue and there, there are highlights and lowlights from our own personal perspectives um so it'd be great to just hear your honest thoughts about some of those moments in your career um, i mean uh me and pete were cab drivers out in queens in nassau county and we but we also were going to college we're all in school me and pete and charlie when we started out and we kind of had a bad attitude pretty negative sort of nihilistic types and we ended up we all had sort of possible career choices i was looking at cinematography pete was looking at fine art uh charlie was looking at art history we were all like art weirdos but we kind of all decided to get in the band tour like hell and just play music together as super good friends. So we did that for a couple of years and whatever. And first record came out, definite high point when the self-titled came out, I feel like in our career. I mean, just for any band, I think your first record, like there was a record we made before that, but it was the same, similar song, same songs, different takes. Mm -hmm. uh, it never came out. The guy did too much coke and ended up way in debt and disappeared once I got a test pressing, which that's another story. I re-released it later because I found the test pressing. But so I would say all the touring, living together in a van, crashing in cat hair and beer, at people's on people's floors uh and all that shit really made for a very a very what i would consider a representative record of our lifestyle at the time new york was fucking crazy tons of drugs and super violent and really broke um so it was kind of a giant slum to a certain extent not midtown or upper east side but yeah a lot of it was fucked up so that record the first self-titled record was really reflective of our lifestyle of what we were doing at the time
so that's a definite high point. We did well, put out, and then Charlie died. Our drummer died, and we took on Vinny Signorelli a couple of records later. And Vinny got the band and changed the sound of the band pretty drastically. Um, things went in more of a heavier kind of rock mode, whereas before it was a little more punk rock and manic. See, but, see that first album? It's, it's probably like a, a, a logical and a perfect place to start because you've just reissued a, a, a remastered version of this, right? Yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, it's coming out actually third week of September, I think. But yeah, we're doing pre-orders now. But yeah, we reissued and remastered it because uh, like Andrew said, He's like, I took the cocaine out of the mix, which, which had nothing to do with me. But uh, <laughs> um, but it just sounded kind of muffled. It was maybe the tape of the time, you know, sort of the recording process of the time. But so the the remastered version is kind of higher output and has a lot more kind of oomph to it. You know, it's got a lot more sort of power from the sort of muffly compressed original. So I'm pretty psyched that we're able to reissue that and kind of help it out a little bit. Um, so, yeah, that's that's coming out in September. You're doing quite a lot of publicity for it as well. And I, I guess it must be a kind of particularly poignant record for you since it's the only full album that Charlie featured on. That's got to be part of it, being able to redo it and, and bring it to a whole new audience because there's a whole new generation of noise rock fans as well. Yeah. And actually in the remastering, there was we could we were able to just kind of up the drums a tiny bit. You know, we the, there was certain EQ shit we could do that kind of highlight the drums a little more. So that was good, too. Yeah, that was that. I mean, I think with any band, your first record is is kind of, you know, you have all this time to get that together. You know what I mean? And uh, every other record after that, you're going to be touring and you're going to be kind of making the time to make that record instead of having all the time you want. You know what I mean? Like you can have a couple of years, years, three, four, even if you get signed within like three or four years um, to make that first record. So that one is kind of the, you know, that's, that's kind of your high mark usually, usually generally. So, I mean, I'm interested as well though, because whether it's via unsane, like the self-titled album or even going earlier to the stuff that was reissued as improvised munitions and even to all the way back to burn. common impression is that Unseen emerged more or less fully formed from the womb, you know, screaming, of course, but was that sort of rigid sense of identity what you expected or intended when you started Unseen? Like, were, did you imagine being like the 90s motorhead? Like, we have a sound. Like, you know, let's, let's, <laughs> no, let's never. How sound. could you ever, how could <laughs> ever imagine that? No, I could never imagine that. Um, no, like I said, me and Pete drove cabs, we drove cabs together, and we were in a drug pit, sort of violent, crazy world on the Lower East Side of Manhattan that we just kind of were pretty negative about shit. And we, I personally kind of thought like a lot of rock music was just sort of sellout stupidity, you know, like people just want to stroke their egos and be up. Whereas we were more like we just want to fucking express ourselves and crush, you know, just fucking offend the hell out of as many people as we possibly could just through sheer volume and feedback and distortion. So, you know, like Pete used to be super psyched when we would play some place and it would be all these kind of mainstream st straight people and we drive them out of the room. Like he was fucking super excited that we were not accepted. You know, so no, I can, I never could imagine that we'd be any sort of cult staple later in life, you know. Like, I mean, you're obviously very close to the material. Do you feel it's as consistent as people maybe depict it? Or can you identify more of the variation and evolution of it than other onlookers perceive? Because, for example, I would say that the singles collection doesn't really have that strangled Delta Blues thing that you do in some of the later records, maybe. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, the sort of blues stuff. Like, my mother was in a bluegrass band when I was a kid, and that's kind of how I started playing guitar, was from her weirdo hippie friends. Um, so that kind of rings through later more. And, I mean, early on, I kind of had it going on, too, but I just was way more sort of noise active, I felt like, earlier. I got with Vinny, we kind of went into a more almost minimalist sort of power kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So the sort of minor scales and just real raw simple stuff uh kind of rang true to me at that point but yeah I, like i could see a real difference between the super early shit and the mid shit with dave and Vinny. I'd say, long story short, I won't keep going with that long story, but High Points being uh, first record, um, Scattered, Smothered, and Covered, mm -hmm. when we finally got on Amphetamine Reptile, which we had always wanted to from the beginning, um, and then Visqueen with Ipecac, um, and then I would say Sterilize, the last one we did, which kind of I kind of wanted to go back into more abrasive stuff. So to me, those are sort of the high points. I guess for the benefit of the audience, like uh, Vince Signorelli, the drummer at the time, was Swans, Fetus, Lubricated Goat. He'd been in those kind of bands, right? On that singles collection, there's definitely a few tracks in there, you know, like Blood Boy and My Right, that have more of a noise, experimental noise quality to them. They're pretty far out, actually. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of toms and just kind of rolling drums, you know, which Vinny didn't really do as much. Um, it's just, it's stylistically different, which is why now I'm touring with two, with a new lineup with my two friends just to do the earlier shit. Because, like, when when it was me and Pete and Vinny, Charlie had died and Vinny joined the band and we started playing the really early shit with Vinny and we realized like, wow, it doesn't sound the same as it did. You know what I mean? Like it, let's, let's write new shit is basically, was basically our attitude. You know, Vinny's really a good drummer. Let's move on and write new shit with him. In that first album, there's some really bopping kind of quite bouncy like percussion from Charlie and yeah. Vinny's is much more, as you said, power. It's much more thunder. Yeah. Yeah. Like, He's, it's different. So now Vinny, Vinny and Dave now live out of the country and during the pandemic. Uh, Dave's in Italy. He's in a band called Baratro. Yeah, yeah. Dave's outside of Milan. But so during the pandemic, those guys went around and I wanted to play. My friend John wanted to play and my friend Cooper wanted to play. And we started playing just early unsanctioned just for fun. Really, we were no, we had no plans to even play a show or anything. But, you know, we did that for fucking a few months and practicing like five, six days a week. And then we did a show in Austin and we got a shit ton of offers to play. So it was kind of like, well, Let's fucking go out and do just the early shit because I never got to do the early shit again after Charlie's death, basically, yeah. because, you know, we moved on with Vinny. So now it's fucking I, it's so fun to play that early shit. Like it really it just feels really good. It's it's uh, it's a lot more sort of guitar active and and kind of drum active, too. So it's it's really fun. Anyway, I digress. No, no, not at all. It's, it's John Siverson from Daughters that's playing drums now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. He's yeah. fucking amazing. So, jumping forward a little bit, you know, Total Destruction was a big step. That was a major label, 93, I think. Yeah, which we were not into anyway. Uh, you know what? I'm so glad you say that, right? Because I have to say Total Destruction is probably my least favorite of the albums. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was recorded really clean, which really took away, kind of neutered it of power, I felt. Um, yeah, it, it got recorded really clean. We did not want to be on Atlantic. We had a bad attitude about the whole fucking thing. Um, we, when they asked us to make a video for it, we did Body Bomb and depicted gnats from Cop Shoot Cop going down and blowing up the World Trade Center. Um, <laughs> we really had a bad attitude. We were not trying to sell out at all. Like, we were actually trying to fuck it up as much as we could. That was that feeding frenzy, though, right? I mean, do you think the label ever really got unseen? No, no, I don't think they did at all. Not in the slightest. They, they, it was definitely during the whole fucking Nirvana helmet feeding frenzy. And we really did not want to be a part of that. We were pretty content with our own little world touring around the country in a van, you know. So we, we were not into it. We saw interviews with uh, A&R guys from that era who were saying their bosses literally sent them out to sign any band with a one-word name. It was like, it was yeah. as basic as that. They were like, honestly, it's a rock band. They have guitars. They've got a one word name. Bring them in. Crazy stuff. Wow. Holy yeah. shit. Um, it's an odd fit for you guys. And as you say, you picked up Scattered, Smothered and Covered when you moved on to Amrep. That is, a, I, I feel, a serious step up uh, in, in terms of the band. Like so many impact songs in that. And I don't even yeah. necessarily in, include Scrape in that. Scrape's a good tune, but it's far from my favorite on that record. Uh, I think yeah. Alleged has got to be one of your top five moments. Uh, oh, wow. I think out as well is just oh my god the withering guitar overdubs you didn't know the breaks that scream fucking hell man that is a that is a brutal record a, a, a really really strong moment in the history of the band Yeah, I have to say, just real quick, just kind of going back a little bit. Uh, Total Destruction was really a weird time also for the band, like not just the whole mainstream bullshit, but also Vinny had just joined the band and really wasn't sure where he wanted to go, you know, in terms of how he played all the shit. And Pete was still in the band and... He, we just, it was, I was withdrawing from drugs, <laughs> excuse me, uh, getting clean a lot and kind of, we kind of had a lot of weird shit going on. And some people think that's really like that record, but I'm kind of with you on that one. That was really like a um, transitional period for the band, which you can tell once we get to scattered, then we really locked in again. It's another lineup change. There's, you know, there's been a bunch. I think with any band, there's going to be a bunch. It's just kind of normal, especially after this long, you know. And uh, 97, Occupational Hazard, the, the album that kind of woke me up to your band. I, I'm not sure if you're even aware, but uh, the Kerrang! magazine over here did a list of like the best uh, lesser heard kind of underground albums. It was like a big, big collection of things. And that was one of the albums that they picked out. And I remember getting every getting a listen to every single record on, on that list and leaving with like a handful. And this was one of them. Um, they at the time said it was your best record, uh, the most well-rounded and, and complete. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, you know, actually, I should have mentioned that one because I do think that's a really good one. We were pretty locked in and we've been doing a shit ton of touring. So that one we were all really together on, you know. You have some fun with tight, like kind of bar lengths in that one quite a lot. There's some really interesting sort of like arrangement in it and you can tell the band's quite together. And the opening triumvirate as well, Committed This Plan Over Me, is just fucking massive. And I have to say, I think Sick, for me, might be your best song. I, I, I oh, wow. adore that song, man. The final step up that you do at the end for the kind of outro riff is just... yeah huge uh 
I have a, I really wanted to ask you this. So the Lamb House collection came out in 2003 on Relapse, right? How, given all the different labels that were involved in these earlier records, how were you able to make that happen? And this seems like a lot of different people to try and get on the same page. Yeah, that was that was really Relapse wanted to do like do a live show and then just get a ton of different shit on there, you know, and just kind of make a huge compilation of stuff, which I mean was cool. It's a, it's no small feat, man. I can imagine there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was a lot of shit to do to get that together. They had that photo shoot for the cover was really fun. That's my friend Phil on the ground. That's that one. I really hosed down the entire front of this school building with blood in Brooklyn. It was so fucking fun. So this is a good time to discuss this. You mentioned doing cinematography. Mark and I were talking about this. Like how much do you think your cinematography instincts affect the, not so much the first album, which the artwork's pretty to the point, but uh, certainly some of the later ones where it's all about suggested. It's kind of very, there's a lot of cinematography in the layouts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it obviously had a lot to do with being like doing visual art early on. Um, and those a lot of the covers, different ones are different, but um, it's called it's actually called a blood run, which was the name of a record. Um, but it's where like I'll, I would go to this place, Lamb Unlimited, which is no longer there anymore. It's now the name of my label. Um but it was um, a meat packing place on the on the west side in the in the meat packing district, um, and I would just go there like four in the morning, buy a shit ton of blood in plastic gallon jugs, and then we I would do a location. I would find a location somewhere in New York or wherever, and then I would go bring my. I had these like three friends of mine, photographers, James Rex Road being the main one. Uh, he think I think he worked for the New York, New York Post and a bunch of other shit. But um, just have like three of my friends go with me. I just bring rubber rubber gloves and a fr- another friend to be sort of the body generally. Um, but uh, go there, go to the location, hose it down with blood, just throw blood everywhere, and then have my put my friend in the picture, position them correctly, and then stand back. And let these three photographers go shoot a ton of shit. But I would, I would suggest to them, okay, this is framing wise what I'm looking at. This is what I'm seeing in my mind, what I'm really going for. Which a lot of times James is really good at getting that. Um, so then we just fucking have the we set up this whole situation, do it as quickly as possible because if the cops come, you're in trouble. Um, people will start coming around, seeing what you're doing, and it's all real blood, so it looks really fucked up. So we, we just do kind of a hit and run of a blood scene. Uh, and it, it became, we just started calling it a blood run. So um, that's, that was generally, that was another sort of guerrilla, urban guerrilla tactic for artwork that, that we developed over the years. Other guys in the band didn't really have much to do with it. Like originally Pete Shore had, had a lot to do with the blood work, but then it just became me once Pete was not in the band. So. If you'd get into cinematography, I mean, that, do you think it would have been horror and stuff that you'd have been trying to get involved in? Oh, definitely. Yeah, no question. I love horror movies. No question. I'm actually watching, I, what is it? Uh, what, God damn. can't remember the I Whatever. I was just watching early this morning this uh, movie from 88. I think it's Slaughterhouse something, but Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo did the soundtrack to it, and it's Tony Basil or Basil or whatever the fuck is is actually in it as this rock woman on Alcatraz. It's really stupid. But um <laughs> But it's kind of interesting to see what the guy from Devo would do with a horror movie from 88, you know? Like, I love that shit. It's really cool. Anyway. Rugrats to an 80s horror movie or 80s horror movie. Yeah, there you go. Have you guys been used in any movies, uh, soundtrack-wise? Yeah, I did one with my friend Ari. I had this band in Berlin called Salon for a while. Uh, My friend Ari, Benjamin Myers, and me did a soundtrack for this French movie, The Pack.
which was it was interesting. The sound, the, I think the soundtrack is good. I think we did a good job, but they sent us all the shit. And then once we did all the music, they fucking re-edited the entire endings, especially plus other parts too, and just kind of took pieces of what we had done and put it on other parts and stuff. So it's not exactly how we intended it, but at the same time, I think it worked out anyway. So, but the movie's not, it's more, you know, horror trash. <laughs> so that's, that's Sealand and that, you brought out a record called Halo with that. And that's uh, Ari Ben Myers of uh, Einster's End in the Bouton. Yeah. 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 He played in my Bouton for I, just for a little while. I think he lives in Berlin. So he's around those guys a lot. That's a really good album. I really like it. Uh, oh, cool. Thanks. Yeah. I like that album too. I, I remember getting that actually literally when it came out and it is exactly that it's like a really good meeting of you and Ari's styles uh, it, it's it's very interesting um, I mean you also did the after we, we spoke about the, the compilation you did Cutthroat's Nine When you moved to the West. Yeah, oh yeah, that was fucking fun as hell. So you go like three, well, actually four records next. You did three in a row, took a break, and then in 2014 came back with Descent as well for that one. Yeah. So you took a break from that in 2004 when Unseen started doing stuff again. Blood Run, which you've mentioned, came out in Relapse. Uh, I mean, Backslide as a comeback track after a break is a monster of a comeback track, man. Uh, yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> any of these like particular highlights when you're playing live or any of these ones that you just cannot wait to get dug into i mean there's some that are just super fun to play you know committed is really super fun to play over me is really super fun to play um i mean there's tons that now the new set like vandal x is fucking super fun now Yeah, I mean, you know, I just kind of put to, try to put together a set where pretty much everything on there I love to play. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to do shit just because maybe people would want me to play that song. If it's not fun, I'm, you know, if it's not, if it's going to be drudgery every night, then I will not do it. So, you know, so sorry if you're, if I'm, if you see us play, you know, in the near future and we don't do something. <laughs> Uh, you can always email me and let me know if you want me to do something. Yeah. I'm guessing that you're you're pretty warm on this stuff. I've always called it Viqueen, by the way. I had no idea that you called it Visqueen. But um, oh, Visqueen, yeah, Visqueen. So, I mean, this again has some of my favorite unseen tracks, and I'm guessing these ones are fun to play. I think, in particular, "Last Man Standing" and "This Stops at the River" have got to be. It stops at this top three for me, man. I couldn't believe it when it, when when you brought that out. You know, it's a it's a thing where no offense, but a band's in it's like well in its second decade, and then they're they're still bringing out stuff like that. It's very yeah. very encouraging, man. I love it. And the oh, cool, yeah, that was a really fun one to do. I mean, I just kind of made that up real quick, and it was really it's really a fun one. And that that one is kind of more of a almost more of a Cutthroats Nine song, honestly. Like with Cutthroats, I was just playing a lot of slide. So that one, you know, was more in that vein. One of the things that really helps Visqueen as well is the production in it is superb. Like it's really, really strong. Production-wise, I mean, you know, you talked about revisiting the first album. Are there any that you just look back on and you love the production 
Yeah, Bisqueen would be the one, I think. Um, Andrew Schneider, the guy, he's the guy, the same guy who did Bisqueen remastered this self-titled recently. And he's kind of, I mean, he's kind of an audio genius. It's like he's, he really knows what we're up to. He's hung out with us a lot. We've done quite a few records of those at this point. And he's really good at just fucking pulling power out of what you do. You know, I mean, there's a bunch of tricks that he does. But yeah, he's, he's kind of the perfect guy for Unsane. Uh, 2012, Wreck. Uh, it was a slow burner for me, but it did last really well. I started to get much more into it as time went by. Really well produced as well. Tracks like Decay, man, the emotional weight in that song. That is a really visceral bit of music. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I that's I like that record a lot, and I think the production on it is really good. Again, that's Andrew Snyder. He recorded that one as well. That one in particular was kind of done. I was at a show one time, and uh, I, I know this guy Jello Biafra from Dead Kennedy. Yeah, yeah. He, I, every time I kind of see him at a show, me and him just kind of hang out. Because we're friends, um, and he kind of wants me to cover him from all the people saying hi. Um, so he had just said to me, "Hey, you know, how would you like to do a record for AT?" So that's how Rec really came about. It was like, "Fuck yeah, well, I'll do it," you know. And then just got the guys together and kind of it wasn't a quick record. And he's not particularly good friends with Flipper, so the ha 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 cover was yeah. a little much for him. But at the same time, that was us kind of going in a slightly more punk rockish kind of way, you know? Yeah, I did want to ask you about that one. That fu- that song is fucking gnarly, man, honestly. <laughs> it's pretty disgusting. Yeah, I used to go see Flipper when I was a kid. And I sang it the way he sang it when I saw him play when I was when I was younger, when I was a teenager, you know? Did you see the Moyo when he did the vocals live? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they actually at one point had asked me to to sing for them after Yao, which I was, <laughs> I was kind of, I know it's like, how do you follow David Yao? You know, good luck. Uh, so you mentioned sterilize. I, I, I agree with you. I think it's a really good record. It's another one of those things where like this band is still doing it. They're still cutting it. And um, I think number one track on that factory is just a, a great example, like a classic kind of combination of these unseen ingredients, you know, the sinister blues and the saturated weight of the song. I think it's actually a really timely reminder as well of noise rock executed properly because you brought that record out when there was this resurgence of the noise rock sound. There was this new generation of them coming through, you know, whores, Mets, Idols, all these bands that were starting to, to really tick up numbers. But I feel, especially with the kind of British and American noise rock acts, they always seemed like they had one eye on commercial success. Whereas with the original movement, and certainly even now with the European movement, I think if you're a band in France, you sort of take it for granted. You're never going to make a lot of money. And it's more about the music itself. So hearing you guys go back to do that, it felt like, not not intentionally, but you were given a little bit of a lesson to this generation of slightly polished noise rock. I mean, is there anything around from that newer generation that really works for you? Um, I mean, I like a band like I like Bummer. Have you ever heard of Bummer? Yeah, I really like Bummer. The Horrors seems like a bit of a ripoff in a way to me um, of noise, of earlier kind of noise stuff. I, 
I don't know. I, I don't want to go, you know, I don't want to talk about other people's bands too much, but I do like Bummer. Um, and in terms of Sterilized, like I wrote a majority of that record by myself. So that was me kind of wanting to go back to stuff that I love to do. You know what I mean? Like Factory in particular was like me writing one of my songs, sort of the way I wrote it early on. Mm. Yeah, it sounds very unfiltered. Um, yeah, and then the the improvised munitions thing you touched on it earlier on. So can, can you just clarify? So I know the story a little bit. There was a basically just a test press, and was how this this was rescued. This record, right? Yeah, we were, we were uh, us and like Cops Cop and Pussy Galore and Helmet and a bunch of other, you know, just kind of Lower East Side bands or East Village bands. We were all kind of in the same neighborhood uh, in New York, uh, downtown Lower East Side, East Village. Um, and we were just playing shit ton of shows, opening for everybody, doing whatever we could, you know, blah, blah, blah. So there was this guy, Ernie Cigarelli, who ran this label, Circuit, which was just a small coming up label. He had signed like surgery and done something with Cop Shoot Cop. And we were good friends with like Sean, the guy from surgery and shit. So then Sean was like, oh, Ernie wants to do a record with you guys. <clears throat> so I spoke to Ernie and blah, blah, blah. We were all hanging out at clubs and we'd talk all the time. So we, we it was basically a handshake deal and he, he gave us a little bit of money to go record with Wharton, uh, Wharton Tears. So we went and we just kind of recorded. A, it's really short. I didn't realize how short it was until later when I actually got it back. But so we went in, recorded something pretty quick and gave it to Ernie. Ernie gave me one night, came up to me at the Pyramid Club and gave me a test pressing of it and said, oh, Chris, here's your test pressing. Check it out. Make sure it's OK. Let me know. So then I go home, I listen to it, and Ernie disappears. Ernie is just nowhere, nowhere to be found. I don't know what happened. So a little time goes by, nothing. I, Ernie, I found out later, Ernie, owed had a huge cocaine habit and owed some dealers some money so i don't know if he just hid you know disappeared off the planet or if he was killed or whatever happened so then i have this one test pressing of our first record which never came out and i go on tour a few months later while i'm out of town my junkie roommates go in my room and take every piece of vinyl, my first singles, all, every piece of vinyl I had for Unsane, and went and sold it, obviously super cheap because we were totally unknown, um, at the used record store down the street from us or something. So then I come home from tour, test pressing's gone. I had one cassette of it, but that eventually just died and failed. Um, so then cut to 25 years later. Um, I heard on the internet that there was a guy who had a copy of it and there was a guy who had a cassette of it. So then I hit him up. He said there was a guy who had the test pressing. So then uh, I think it's Jordan Mamoni. Uh, this guy had, who had lived in my neighborhood during in that time, like 91, had gone to the used record store and somehow bought my test pressing really cheap and had actually like, stashed it like played it once and then hit it i was really into it so 25 years later i finally track him down i get the test pressing back and we get andrew to remaster it andrew schneider again and help it out and then we finally are able to release our first record on our own label lamb unlimited So it was real, you know, it felt good to finally get that fucker out, man. It, I had, I really just given up hope and thought it was gone forever. So, you know. Not that, not that many people get that kind of closure, man. That's a beautiful thing. 
Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, it's surprising. And I, I didn't even have to have, you know, ask Tom Hazelmeyer to put it out either. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about a record that you've chosen uh, very shortly. Uh, just a couple last things I want to ask before we go into that. Uh, we need to mention Human Impact, the other project you're playing in, the one you were recently on tour with. But a bit yeah. more like an industrial metal vibe. You got synths in there. Uh, members of it, like Unseen, obviously Swans, Cop Shoot Cop as well that you mentioned. Um, I mean, I, I really like this band. There's quite a difference between I think the first record you guys put out and the uh, the second one as well. Um, where where do you see that coming from? Oh, uh, actually, the second one was the earlier shit. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The second one was actually all the shit that we did really early on and then and had recorded, but then we did new shit to, to actually sort of make a record, you know? So, and some of it was, I mean, we listened back to it after we put out the first record and we were like, fuck, let's, let's put this out. You know what I mean? Because I thought it was really good. So, yeah, so we just released the EP. Again, usually when I play with people, I kind of just hang out with them you know, see how the friendship goes and, and just play music with them. So that's what that, that was this kind of early takes of stuff. But yeah, now I was just actually right before uh, I got in touch with you guys. Um, I was actually on the phone with Jim and Todd, our manager, and we're talking about doing the new, a new human impact record. So. Excellent. Man. Um, so yeah. One last, one last question then. I mean, we're talking about all these years of you touring, man, off the top of your head, are there any bands from that period that you think should have made it bigger that didn't? Bands you played alongside with and it just constantly... Oh, shit. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think maybe like Keel Hall should have been, <laughs> which is a strange one. Um, Slug from LA, mm -hmm. the band Slug should have been bigger. Um, who else? Monster Truck Five <laughs> from Columbus, Ohio, but they had such, there were so many drugs involved that they kind of just. <laughs> petered out with drug use. Um, I, I don't know. I'm sure there's a ton. I mean, cherubs, obviously, which now have gotten the recognition, I feel like, but they, cherubs should have been huge at the time. Like we toured with Cherubs and nobody knew who they were. I was kind of really shocked. I love it. Yeah, so uh, we asked you to pick an album, Chris, and it was a debut album by Killing Joke. So the remit being a record that you think, even if it has some success, should have been bigger. So let's 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 explore that a little bit. I mean, Killing Joke, they're a British band. A lot of people know them. I think a lot of people have different perspectives on what they sound like, though, because obviously later in their career, they all, they're a metal band, effectively. And then they've got this middle period where they're like a synthy kind of new wave, dark wave band. A really, really interesting thing. Are you talking about like the whole nighttime period? Exactly, yeah.
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember being like pretty young and I was like, what is going on with these guys? You know, they're like, really, they're really trying, you know, like, let's listen to them in simple minds in the same fashion, you know? Oh my God. The antithesis of the, un- the unseen thing, right? Because they started off doing this kind of like post punk thing. Then they end up doing the synthy stuff. Then they end up being a metal band. Bands like them and uh, decroups and stuff, they would go through these reinventions every like four or five years. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting. I was just, Human Impact just played Hellfest recently. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I actually got to meet those guys. Oh, wow. I, well, I got to meet Jazz and Jordy, I guess, the other guy, the guitar yeah. player. Yeah. So Jazz was really nice. Jordy, I, if you can't say something positive, don't say anything at all. So I won't even talk about that. Um, but <laughs> anyway, Jazz was a very nice guy, and uh, it was kind of cool to finally, after all these years, finally meet them. Um, but that first, their first record, when I was, you know, I guess I was a teen, um, it really showed me as a guitar player, because I learned all, because I've been playing since I was pretty young, since I was like seven or eight. So I learned like blues and bluegrass and all this. So, and, you know, I was really, I really liked punk, like the Sex Pistols, Ramones, Clash kind of shit. Um, so when they came along, when that first record came out, it really was a demonstration of like, simplicity and repetition with distortion and and like repetitive vocals you know with like key lines really being powerful you know really how to how to make that stuff super powerful that's that's what i thought when i was you know a kid So I, I kind of thought, I think of it in a way as something of a early, early, early lesson in sort of how to write a song. You know what I mean? Like how to how to really beat the shit out of a riff forever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're really unusual and kind of celebrated, uh, especially by musicians band. I mean, there's a list of, I mean, I know that people like Justin Broderick were hugely influenced by them. He loved the fact that they did remixes as well. And that was something they got criticized for at the time because they would put remixes on their singles. And he fucking loved that. That was right up his street. You get bands like Metallica famously did a cover of them and Hetfield loves jazz's voice. You know, Foo Fighters obviously covered Requiem. Peter Hook and Jimmy Page were in their uh, documentary movie, The Death and Resurrection Show. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I mean, Cobain's style of guitar was really attributed a lot to his love of killing joke, although there was obviously that controversy in Nevermind when Courtney loved yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it seems pretty fucking bogus anyway. I don't know. But, oh, hey, can I just say one thing while we're all, while we're, you mentioned him? Is Justin Broderick is one of the nicest fucking people I've ever met in a band. Fantastic. Just putting that out there. I was hanging out with him too at Hellfest and I, I've hung out with him multiple times over the years. He is one of the nicest fuckers ever. Just so you know. It's nice when you find a band that you like. The, yeah. the, the guy gets the, the thumbs up as well. I, I mean, I love God Flesh in particular. Jesus as well, but especially God Flesh. Yeah. Actually. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I always understood that Kill and Joke had been a big influence on industrial stuff, you know, because they kind of bridged that post-punk and kind of EBM industrial thing for me. But yeah. to this, with you having recommended it, I started to realize, holy shit, the noise rock influences as well. Like loads of Dwayne Dennison things in here especially like you can hear that those guys definitely like this you 
Yeah, yeah, no shit. Yeah, then between like Killing Joke and Birthday Party, you get a lot of like the absolutely the Jesus Lizard sound, you know. So even the start of War Dance, that cough at the start, that's such a David Yao thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. But yeah, I mean, an amazing band to to just arrive so fully formed as well. Because I mean, before they released their first record, they'd started their own label and then they recorded this and produced it. I just can't get my head around how a band so young has the confidence and the ability to make such a great sounding record in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, no shit. It's really true. And such a landmark record, really, in the history of like rock. It's crazy. Was it was it kind of seismic in your circles at the time? Were a lot of people talking about it or was it something that... <laughs> no, uh, I was like the weirdo who just bought the record and then put it on a cassette and would walk around my school with it at full blast and with headphones on and nobody even knew I was listening to that. <laughs> like none of, my <laughs> none of my friends at the time really even listened to that shit. They were kind of, you know, I was definitely on my own in that in that world. But then a few years later that people started to kind of catch on. So oh, you still listen to it regularly? Yeah, I mean, yeah, every once in a while, you know, yeah, I'll throw it on. Definitely. The remixes, I mean, it's it, I they say remastered, but then I noticed he's added like delay to some of the vocals and kind of yeah. some of the things that I really liked in the original. They it's just maybe inadvertent, but they're not as loud as they were on the original. Like some of the guitar, the blanet, blanet, blanet kind of part. Yeah. Of just distorted guitar, just one chord, repeat, repeat, repeat. It was super powerful on the first one, and maybe it's lost to me a little bit of power when they remastered. So I mean, it only got to, I think it was number 39 and, and there was an American release, but it seems like it was super low key, the American release of this until later. Yeah, when I when I got when I was a kid, I, I bought an import. I used to go to this. There was this record store I used to go to that had all kinds of like vinyl from Europe, you know, because the the British, the UK punk scene and and European punk scene, it, it was kind of harder to get stuff, you know, like a lot of it wasn't really if you had a place that had shit that they brought in, you know, had imports, then then you were exposed to a lot more than if you went to fucking Tower Records or some shit. Yeah, you know? so. yeah and the American version actually had an extra track in it. So you, you Oh really? Yeah, you guys could <laughs> you guys could change. Change had been like an early single or something like that. Our version didn't have that. So our version went from complications straight on to SO36. And then- oh, wow. I didn't even know that. I mean, the version I have, well, I, it's been a long time. I, I don't remember where my original vinyl is. Wow, that's interesting. Worth a bit. Maybe your junkie roommate sold it. <laughs> yeah, I know. No shit. No. <laughs> no, but I mean, Change is a great song. And it, it really reminded me, it is. in particular, reminds me of Band of Susans. And you can hear, I think, the genesis of, of that kind of guitar tone as well, crossing over into yeah. alternative from, from the post-punk. Yeah, I mean, I, I love this record, man. I mean, I wonder how long it took Paige to decide what cover helmet we're going to do, though, because the version of Primitive is brilliant. But I mean, there's a number on here that they could have done. Did you guys ever think about doing one? No, not really. I mean, we kind of make fun of covers. Honestly. <laughs> yeah, you haven't done like, that. We kind of do it. We kind of we just do it. And we don't really give a shit. You know what I mean? We kind of are like whatever. That's why ha 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 was a good one to do. And then, I mean, the Led Zeppelin Four Sticks cover that we did really early on. We just changed all kinds of shit and just you know we didn't care. So it's hard to care too much about a cover for us, you know. So anyway, you know, I'd never heard Killing Joke. I haven't really listened to Killing Joke before, so I'm I'm glad that you brought this record into my life, Chris. Oh, cool. What are some of the highlights in this album for you that you always go back to? What songs do you like the most? Oh, Jesus! Uh, I mean, I got to look at the list. 
I mean, they're all fucking good, man. Requiem, Wardance. The way complications, you know, primitive, SO36. SO36 is that really dirty one, and I'm glad they didn't finish with it. It's, I like it. It's a great song, but they, they do that, and then they go into primitive for the finish, and they finish on this kind of catchy high. But SO36 is a really dark song. Change, you know, Requiem, Jesus Christ. They're all fucking good. Like this, pretty much that entire record is really fucking good. That vocal in War Dance, the, the decision to do that creepy as fuck, like distorted vocal. Like, <laughs> yeah. that, that's pretty bold for a young band yeah, as well. That is pretty bold. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. I think, I mean, you know, it's kind of hard to say because there were so many bands that were starting to get into this sort of goth industrial kind of, you know, like Bauhaus and The Cure were around, you know what I mean? And then got someone like Killing Joke who just seemed almost anti commercial compared to the other ones, you know? So. They're, quite, they're quite political as well, right? I mean, and they also liked to to provoke. I did wonder actually if this was something that had stuck with you because I mean, the cover of this album's iconic and it's based on like photographs and artwork of the to do with the troubles in Northern Ireland. But then yeah. they had they had um, is it laugh? I nearly bought one. The cover of like the German Archbishop C. Kyle in the 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 brown shirt Nazis and stuff. I mean that that willingness to provoke and obviously you guys with the cover of the the first album showed a willingness to provoke as well do you think that was something i mean i don't recall unseen being a particularly political band but the, sh the shock value the, the the intimidation factor is definitely consistent yeah we're not i mean i don't think of us as political band really in any way maybe in that we are sort of a reflection of urban distress um you know maybe in that way it's a sort of social reflection um but it kind of goes back to the whole fucking, you know, anti-commercialism sort of ethos, you know. Honestly, I'm surprised anybody ever liked Unsane. Like, from the beginning, I was surprised because we're just doing what we want to do, like, really in a pure conviction-ridden style, you know. And, I mean, I am just guess I'm just lucky that people got into it. I mean, I personally never had any thoughts of like oh let's do this to be commercially successful in any way like really i i just think the whole thing's fucking bullshit to to you know if you're a creative person and you're doing art that is your fucking thing why would you try to it just seems like it just taints the thing that you're doing to think of things that way you know what i mean that would totally like ruin the whole thing i feel like so in that way, like what you're saying about the cover of the Killing Joke record and maybe the color, cover of the Unstained record, it's sort of a, I don't know, you know, what their plan was or anything. But with us, we just did it because we it was a reflection of our sort of environment. You know what I mean? And, and I guess Killing Joke, that would be similar. I mean, not that they're in Northern Ireland, no, but... Um, that, Thatcherite Britain. I mean, it is an album that has that sort of Cold War Thatcherite you know, sense of uh, dread around it. Yeah, 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 totally. Like 80s fucking dread, like submission. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's a great choice, man. I mean, it's such a such a great band. There's so many records that you can parse by them. Um, there's a really good retrospective of it uh, by a guy called Bradley Torriano, who said that uh, he called it an underground classic that deserves better than its relative unknown status. I mean, I think Kill and Joke are known to music fans, but they're not, for example, they're certainly not nearly as well known as The Cure or Joy Division over here. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think their role in the evolution of the industrial music, their their influence in noise rock, even just, you know, getting into the synthier stuff, it's, they're a fascinating group. And I think, yeah, certainly this is their, their best overall collection and just so fucking ahead of its time and, and impressive. Totally. I mean, it's kind of a trip because now having just seen them play at Hellfest and everything, I was like side stage mm -hmm. when they played and it's fucking, I don't care who's bigger, you know, Cure, Joy Division, Killing Joke, whoever, those guys are playing to thousands and thousands of people. You know what I mean? They are definitely a, 
like crazy successful band now, which is uh, surprising to me. No, well, maybe not surprising, but just maybe well-deserved in a way. I don't know. You know, they're the sort of... Yeah, they persevered. The talking points of their sort of metamorphosis at different times in their career, you know, but, um, but in the end, it's all worked out for them. You know what I mean? They're, they're a huge band to me anyway. They were kind of on my mind having just met them and seen them and everything, you know, <laughs> so... Well, man, this is, this has been excellent. I uh, really appreciate your time. And doing yeah, no this. problem. Uh, it, it was great to get a little bit of the inside scoop and some of your own stuff as well, because you always wonder that about bands. How do they feel about their own things, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And uh, glad to hear you're going to do some more stuff with Human Impact. There were rumors about you maybe recording some new Unseen stuff as well. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've, got, we've got a bunch of touring coming up. But yeah, we're we're talking about maybe doing like singles because of the way things are put out now, and then maybe do a box set where I get I can do, you know, if we do six to eight singles, then I do six to eight shoots. I do six to eight blood runs, so it would be sort of maximizing the art. Yeah, it's a nice excuse. You know what I mean? <laughs> and which for me is really fun. So that's kind of the box set is possibly, hopefully, uh, what we're going to be looking at next. Great, nice one. Well, I think you're playing in Glasgow on the 27th of October, off the top of my head. Um, Yep, Uh, and it's really, really good to see you back in the road again, man. And long may it continue. Yep. Cool. Are you Are you going to come to the show? I've got tickets for the show, so yeah, I will be there. Oh, you do? Yeah, say hi if you're there. Absolutely, man. Uh, You take care, and thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you.